This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. And it's a complex process in the head of a founder who's trying to get distribution for their product. They feel like maybe we should just give this away as a white label, not give it away, we'll charge for it, but we will give away the branding so that the property manager feels like, okay, here's something we're offering. And I think in some cases that can be a mistake. Yes, if you're dealing with a top five or 10 property management firm who values lifestyle, as a key differentiator. Maybe in those cases it might make sense, but overall, um, people don't associate the property as, oh, this is managed by Graystar. This is this is the brand of the property and everything that they offer is something I associate with, you know, the box that I live in and see. Um, now, if you're dealing with other sectors of PropTech, for example, if you're dealing with agencies, those agencies absolutely want to uh, and prefer to have a white label solution that they can offer, whether it's JLL or CBRE or Colliers. Whereas in property management, I feel like it's it's a lot more challenging and I think founders should be more firm and maybe even when property managers ask for this to push back and to maybe even explain, look, you're gonna have more trust if you have an outside brand offering this. Because you are, you don't want to say it like this, but you are a property manager in the day. People, people associate, people don't like the property managers. The average reviews are very low. That's the problem is that the, the if you were to ask people uh, after living somewhere six months to name their top favorite brands, they're not going to name the property manager. They'll still name Apple and Nike and they're still going <laughs> to, just, you're not going to win that fight. Um, and if you go, well, what's your favorite uh, living brand? They'll say Airbnb before they even name their own property manager. So it, it, it's a very tough thing. I've done a lot of work in branding to be able to get there. We won't do white labeling and we, and, and here's the story that I always tell with white labeling. Banks refuse, always ask the, the sort of Venmos of the world to white label and Venmo did it. And eventually they had to create their own called Zelle because they couldn't, it just did this one thing really well, right? Venmo was the, I get to pay peers and the banks couldn't compete with it because their product was bloated and every other possible, it was you know, built for small business and whatever. And all consumers wanted to do is send money in between each other. So sometimes just having these little discrete brands, it's just the consumers get it. They have a lot of apps on their phone. They're used to being able to find these very discrete use cases and they build up trust around that one thing and it does incredibly well. We do incredibly well rewarding renters and the money movement and the banking services around that. There's a reason to have that separate in the same way that is, is good that people use Venmo versus, uh, you know, uh, uh, Capital One to be able to pay their, their friends. You know, I, I do see a shift. I don't think it's going to be actionable for, you know, any founder listening to this because of the timeframes, real estate moves slowly, but there's an emergence of lifestyle brands and lifestyle brands that are basically property management companies. And for yeah. those guys where tech is a key focus, each of their buildings is a community and they absolutely do not want to promote external vendors. They are, they're the ones who want to bundle up technology solutions and offer it under their lifestyle brand as a differentiator. So I'm seeing the emergence of this. I think Adam Newman, founder of uh, WeWork is also taking this approach and, and others too. I've, I've invested in, uh, you know, Poplar Homes, for example, which really, you know, is a wonderful property management tech enabled firm that is growing like crazy. And is it, they're out buying property management firms. The whole business model is buy a traditional property management firm and then fix it up, right? Bring in technology, bring in products and services, 
increase your revenues and have high operating margins, which is very rare. You know, I've, margins can be in in the small teens. And, yeah. and when you bring technology and margins can get them into the 20, 30, 40% range. But all, overall, the penetration of these lifestyle brands is tiny, single percentage points. I think that the, I think there's a lot of room for a lifestyle to be able to come in, but I think renters as an identity class is really tough to be able to nail, right? The, the, the owners, is, uh, homeowners of the identity class is different. Like the, the example I'd give is that you go to a dinner party and people may say, I own my home, but they only should start with, I rent my home, right? You know, like it's just not, it, renters are not always, it's such a massive group. It's 48 million American households who rent. So it definitely works when it's associated with other like lifestyle choices, um, sports, entertainment, travel, and you see it really pairing well there, just like in hospitality, right? You know, it's around a golf course or it's around this type of activity. And so you have to find another identity category besides just renter to be able to make that lifestyle brand, right? It has to come alive with something else. And I think there'll be a lot of those. I don't think there'll be one monolithic one because renters just don't see themselves as a, as a class or an identity. It's not the aspiration isn't necessarily like there. It's not something that you feel. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of services to provide to renters or whatnot, but you have to understand where they are in their life journey and meet them at the things that they really care about. And the thing they don't, they're not passionate about renting, they're passionate about sports. You know, they're passionate about travel, they're passionate about their family, whatever it might be. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, although there'll be a lot of our, or a portion of our viewers that might not agree with that. And there's, you know, I've encountered this a lot with PropTech founders um, who believe, no, renting is a new lifestyle and it's more superior to rent than it is to buy. Yes, it's very easy to believe when it comes from, you know, a tech founder who used to work at Google living in the sky, you know, scraper, class A building and has a bunch of investments in real estate projects. And they're realizing, yes, it makes a lot more sense for me to enjoy this this uh, rental unit and then to have equity in a bunch of projects. Um, and you know, even, even the fractionalization of real estate is offering that, but there is something to it, Roland, right? There is something about- There is, and I think, well, I mean, look, we, the joke I used to make is we rent the runway managed to be able to make the word rent sound <laughs> interesting and sexy. And somehow the actual biggest category of rent hasn't succeeded in doing that. There is areas that sort of global nomad style, I think it's actually interesting because it's, baby boomers on one end who want that experience, right? And then also on the young end want that experience. And it's kind of the Gen Xers, myself is a Gen X category in the middle with families and whatnot who are maybe overclassifying, but are a little bit more res resistant to that. But it's still a minority, right? If you're looking at rent as the, if you're talking about the 48 million Americans who rent, and there is a lifestyle that's there and it's a very affluent lifestyle. And so there's a lot of prop tech that can do very well by targeting that area. But then you have to be able to think about, well, how do you, provide just like American Express or others that are targeting that that sort of group, provide other services around that that really make their life um, easier to be able to do. I think that for us, we kind of think about rent in a more broad, just purely financial sense for that every renter has in common, which is you could joke the rent's too damn high or we just say it's the money stupid. And, uh, and, and most renters go, I'm not sure I'm getting everything I should from this since I keep on moving. Um, but I think there's a lot in that, uh, that for prop tech in that, but I think you have to still find another identity category to, to latch yourself to. You have to find this rent plus tech, it's rent plus sports, it's rent plus something else. And the rent's an enabler to that other lifestyle more than vice versa.
Yeah, and to close off this topic, industries swing sometimes as a pendulum would swing from one extreme to another extreme. And if you take the travel industry, at the beginning, travel was a luxury and even economy class seats were equivalent to today's domestic business class seats. And the service was phenomenal. And now it feels like, and I'm using travel as just one example, this example can apply to so many different areas. But today travel feels like a mass market approach. Um, there's even, you know, even business class seats and business class experiences don't compare to what they used to be. Um, I'll give you a, I'll give you a more prop tech example here. We've seen um, the densification trend inside of commercial office, which is now completely broken because of COVID, thank God. But over time, people started to pack more and more desks and employees would have less square feet per desk. So it'd be more crowded, more crowded to generate more revenue from that building and more profit. And obviously COVID is an example of something swinging to an entirely different, you know, spectrum now where it's all about having green areas and open spaces and multiple offices. Hilarious on this. I used to go to, years ago, I used to go to Cornet Global conferences. Uh, they were a client of mine years ago and they were talking about exactly this, like, you know, like, uh, pushing the open plan and remote work and blah, 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 blah. But underneath all of it was, well, this is a way to be able to really get as many people in as possible. So I kind of giggle with that because it's like, of course people don't want to return and, and it's not my area. We're obviously in residential, but of course people don't want to return to the office. Most offices are awful. And uh, if you like, I like going into nice places. I don't like going into bad places. It's kind of the like simple way to understand it. I love going into some co-working spaces because they're beautifully laid out. It's wonderful to be able to go into. And some co-working spaces, you're like, I can tell that they've optimized this thing and uh, they value engineer all the furniture and it's not really that nice. Same thing, I think, in, in this regular office. So I agree with you. I think that there's a there's a mission uh, that sometimes can overlie and then the economics that sit underneath that can actually be the thing that's just uh, cannibalizing your business, right? Uh, and then it happens in residential as well. I and mean, there's a couple of really cool uh, folks on Twitter who talk a lot about how to optimize square footage, you know, uh, to be able to get uh, higher end. I'm always fascinated with these conversations because it feels to me like, you could do that, but offer an incredible service on top of it. It might save you way more than just optimizing. For I get the developer costs and that's where they're really thinking, but longer term, you could make a like, hey, this is a place that offers incredible services uh, and the asset could be configured however it needs to be configured. I think Starwood in particular with Starwood Preferred Guest figured this out. And you can look at the multiples they got when they were acquired by Marriott to see that it was the customer experience that they got the multiples on, not the asset. Marriott could have gone and bought all those assets, no problem. It was the multiple they got for SPG um, that truly made them successful. Yes, and although some real estate developers will have their own in-house construction team or very you know decade-long relationships with GCs that can execute, ultimately, that's a commodity. What's difficult to change, and this comes down to culture, is really delivering service. And that yes. often is a conflicting stakeholder interest. Your, your bank, your investors may not appreciate that the returns are lower because we wanted to deliver a good service, right? As far as they're concerned, you distribute that preferred returns back to us, right? Amazon's one of the few companies that continue to reinvest rather than, you know, distribute dividends in, in, in sort of the analogy here, right? Well, that, right? That is a very good analogy. I mean, it, real estate is so unbelievably fragmented in terms of how many people are in that the idea of 
investing in service, well, where would that even, how would that even happen? So it has to be these more, um, I think it's where digital can help because it has to be something that kind of moves with the resident, not moves with the building. And because the building's already so fragmented, the resident matters more. And uh, and that's where we, we we call them stakers or our resident members. So the stakers who are moving, um, in a way, they own that data. They own who they are, and they have something valuable in terms of the next property. I'm not sure if real estate's going to be able to capture that themselves in a property because the property is going to change hands. Um, the management company may change hands. It's not uh, an easy. Uh, it, it's not an easy component to be able to just. Uh, the digital isn't attached to the building. Digital attaches to the resident because the resident's one that actually uh, experiences it. Then this is a symptom of a problem in the real estate industry where the reason property management firms turn over so much is because they're just not offering good value. They're not managing well, they're not meeting investor expectations and they're replaced. And the irony is, if you can own an asset for many years, not only does it appreciate, but if you can manage it well, you build yes. those tenant relationships, your on-site staff will know the tenants and you'll have more consistency in the vendors that service. It's a nightmare for prop tech companies, you know, they, they they introduced a property management firm, they're about to sign a deal and the property management firm is being replaced. And when you, it's a lot of big numbers, you know, your scale, I'm sure, you know, you have, uh, how, how much, if you're able to share, just scale you guys have, by the way? And about 15,000 residents who will be rewarded in 2022. So about 15,000 right. doors. <laughs> so when you, when you have that many, obviously there's gonna be churn when a building is sold and there's new owners, or there's you know new management being replaced by the owner. I do have a great example. So we're going through a lot right now of that happening, of uh, the, the, the buildings being sold. Uh, we launched nationally a year ago, so it's coming up a lot of value add investors, properties being turned over. And one, it's a process, right? But it's built into the contract, so it continues. But what's amazing is how much we're able to brief the new owners about the building that they weren't able to get before. We've had them saying, wow, this is incredible. Because not only are we telling them here, like, look, they you think they shop at the Whole Foods, they don't, they shop at the Trader Joe's and here's the data to prove it. Here's what they actually respond to. Here's the type of people that you're gonna get who are coming in for leasing. And we even made recommendations, you know, of like, hey, here's how the, the, the pricing should work because we're building up from the residents who actually live there. And again, not on the market level. I think what's so fascinating though, in terms of, uh, in terms of that churn and what's happening from uh, building, selling, and all the different sides of where real estate has um, is very fragmented. The opportunity there is to come down to a common consistency, which is built up from the the resident. I mean, I think that's how Amazon built up from their members, and so there's an opportunity to be able to do it. But yeah, it's, it, once you're into the sale, it all changes over. One of the things I mentioned going back to the property managers is the leasing teams right now on labor shortage is a big problem, right? Like it's 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 tough to be able to get people. And like we mentioned with the things like making fun of the word doors and this sort of thing, the leasing folks want to believe that they're offering a great product. Like anybody who's in that position wants to have pride in that building and whatnot and have a mission that they're actually helping somebody find a home and helping them achieve something in their life. We found that by talking about the cash back we do as an investment, 
leasing agents get really excited about that um, and find they're like, this is so much more fresh than just, I'm going to reduce the rent uh, to be able to do it or offering this one thing that doesn't do anything for somebody. So I think it's going to be a big new thing in the next year on property management is uh, turning the attention to the on-site teams and how do you keep talent on the on-site teams? Because that's where we're seeing a lot of folks who say, gosh, that it's so hard to be able to get talent right now. And we're having a lot of churn on the, uh, on the, uh, on the ground. Absolutely agree with this. Roland, it has been wonderful having you on the show today. If people want to reach you, how can they reach you? If you can spell out your contact details and also maybe a little quick um, little quick outro on who who are the ideal types of people you'd like to work with? I, I know uh, property managers is a big focus for you, right? Uh, yeah, property managers, asset managers. So the, the folks buying and managing the, 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 the sale of those properties and managing the like where to be able to buy and not. We have a lot of really good data to be able to help both on the asset and the property level. Uh, even we're talking quite a bit with commercial commercial brokers at the moment as well who, who like our product. Uh, they can reach me at Roland's, that's R-O-W-L-A-N-D at stake, S-T-A-K-E dot rent, R-E-N-T. And you can check us out at stake.rent. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Roland Hobbs. And again, there's a pesky W in there. So it's R-O-W-L-A-N-D. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Zane. I really appreciate it being on.